Hello, everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies AFI Top 100 Countdown. We're at number 81, a fifth of the way through. Matt, how about that? Yeah, that's exciting. I, I was tr- I was trying my that hardest. I was trying my hardest to figure out how I could squeeze in some sort of uh, I am Spartacus intro into the beginning of this episode but it's just it's just not a, a line of dialogue that lends itself very well to to intros you know well we should have discussed this before recording but that's uh, that's that's okay no we don't, um, we don't we don't rehearse this stuff off the cuff off the cuff everything off we do is cuff. off the cuff this is just raw raw <laughs> film talk matt that's what we're all about right here. verite um, yeah uh so spartacus number 81 1960 stanley kubrick Kirk Douglas. Uh, oh, we're gonna do two. Epic. We're gonna do two 1960. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we're gonna, I just realized we're gonna do two 1960 films in a row, right? Because the apartment's 1960 as well. Yeah, that is true. I'm I'm the only person who probably finds that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because they're the same year. Yeah, How about that. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a thing. Sorry, continue. Um, no, Spartacus. Uh, huge historical epic in the vein of say ben-hur which we uh talked about uh which was actually number 100 on this list indeed matt what was the first time you saw spartacus i think i saw spartacus in high school i've probably seen ben-hur five times in my life i've probably seen the ten commandments eight times in my life and i think i've seen spartacus like two and a half times including this time yeah i think well i've seen ben-hur twice exactly i know that i've seen ten commandments quite a bit yeah. i mean we went to goddamn catholic school so um they they Ten Commandments was always like a uh, just it, it's around Christmas time. The teacher didn't want to do anything. We'll Easter, just throw that shit on there. Easter, right? Is it? Oh yeah, Easter. Yeah, yeah that makes more sense. Doesn't yeah, it? it used to always um, come on. It used to always come on at Easter. Actually, Easter is this Sunday. Um, not to date this podcast, but I, I wonder if uh, network TV still does the annual Ten Commandments screening every Easter Sunday. I, I wonder if that's still a thing now that nobody watches network TV anymore. But yeah, Spartacus. I I definitely saw it once in high school and maybe seen it once or twice uh more including this uh this viewing for for our countdown you know don't you don't you wish you could just go back and ha- have a directory of how many times and when you saw everything that you've seen <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing yeah you just I mean, knew i mean i feel in the age of like letterboxd you know that that website letterboxd yeah i feel in the yeah. age of letterboxd and watch lists you know that we compile i feel like future generations are going to have records of those kinds of things so i do you think Will you impose upon your future uh, theoretical <laughs> child that, like, just document every time they've seen every movie and then when they turn 18, like, give them that gift of, hey, this is when you saw it. I mean, they, they wouldn't <laughs> like it at 18, but they'd appreciate it when they're in their mid-30s, like like, a, like us. You know, knowing how these things usually go, Oscar, if I do have children, which is, you know, there's a very rare chance of that happening, but if it were to happen, I guarantee I'm going to have a kid who, who hates movies and doesn't want to talk movies, doesn't want to watch movies, <laughs> and every time I try and sit him down, he's like, fuck you, Dad. I'm going to All play sports. prog rock, yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> he's just really into lacrosse. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to my room and listen to Tool. Um, <laughs> anyway, Spartacus. Yeah, I mean... I I uh I don't have a great love for this movie. It doesn't seem like you do either. Someone who's you know watches movies over and over again, only seeing it two and a half times. That 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 speaks um, sort of highly of maybe what you think of the movie. Um, however, as we talked about with these AFI lists, a lot of these entries are symbolic, you know, markers for for things that happen. And this movie is is very 
important in a lot of ways for uh, kind of breaking the blacklist and being a Dalton Trumbo script and being a Stanley Kubrick film and sort of the, the beginning of his ascension, although he had made you know a handful of movies before this. Do you get a sense that this movie is on this list for that reason, that reason alone, or do you think there are artistic merits? We'll start there. Well, it's interesting because I, th- I think it's always important to bring this up first, whether or not it was on the original AFI list, and in this case, it wasn't. So the fact that it, A, wasn't on the original list, and B, is on this list, you know, 19 films or 18 films higher than um, Ben-Hur, which is the obvious uh, comp here, right? Yeah. Is is interesting. It does speak maybe to the idea that there is a little bit of a, you know, not just a renewed love for Kubrick's earlier stuff, but also, like you said, the idea that this does need to be championed as the film that, for all intents and purposes, broke the blacklist. Um, because I don't feel like there's nearly as much. We just dropped the names of The Ten Commandments and Ben-Hur, which I really feel are much more beloved films than this film, or at least are much more sort of resonant in the cultural consciousness. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't dislike this movie, I, and, and and there's a lot of a lot of it that I really, really appreciate and respect. I don't know why I don't really have that. I, I was excited to revisit it because it had been so many years. And when you have really long movies like this, you can justify um, putting off a lot of other things you should be doing. You know, like mm-hmm. the other day, yeah. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's three and a half hours when I I can't be doing what I probably should be. <laughs> you know, like I can't be doing any reading or getting any homework done or working on any paper. Like I got to sit down and watch Spartacus. That's three and a half hours that I can't be doing anything else. So I think it's high, high praise for a movie that it's like, oh, this is just. Uh, <laughs> Uh, procrastination sauce exactly. here that I, can, yeah. I mean i'm the kind of person who like uh you know finds reasons to clean his apartment because he's trying to procrastinate from doing something else but you know i sat down and watched all three three hours and 17 minutes of it and um just very similar to my experience watching ben-hur relatively recently um it went by pretty quick you know it didn't feel this this didn't feel like homework to me this time around how about how about with you how do you watch it by yourself? Did you? I'm assuming you didn't get a big group together to watch it. No, I watched. I watched it by myself at like I woke up at like 6 a.m. on a Saturday and I and I put it on. Yeah, which I kind of feel like is the best time, at least for me, in a in a, in a busy schedule. Just uh, yeah, get get uh get through these long epics because because I, I really don't like watching movies in in two parts, you know. And I didn't want to you know make my girlfriend watch a three and a half hour biblical epic um like i said i appreciate this movie there's a lot to like about it um obviously anything by kubrick is going to look incredible uh the scope of this movie is obviously huge i mean you, you have kirk douglas Lawrence olivier charles Lawton, ustinov tony curtis i mean yeah the, the people on screen are, are it's electric deep. it's deep but I, I i did think it was kind of a dirge i did think it was pretty slow i did enjoy it but i very similar to how I felt about Ben Hur. It's like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, I I like it, but it's not something I'm going to really revisit on my own. On sort of a oh, what should I watch today? Yeah, Spartacus. Let's just throw Spartacus on. That's never gonna happen. <laughs> no, that's fair, and and I do actually kind of have that impulse about Ben Hur. Uh, occasionally, like I think Ben Hur is the kind of film, like you know, on Thanksgiving Day when the family's all around, like throw that on for three and a half hours, right? Whereas Spartacus is so. It's it's so weird like it's it's Kubrickian and yet not Kubrickian at the same time but it's just Kubrickian enough to be like a little bit alienating like it's it's surprisingly violent <laughs> considering when it came out you know there's obviously yeah. like some pretty heavy you know homoerotic stuff going on and we can we can talk more about that and it's also much more and this might be Dalton Trumbo's uh work uh speaking for itself 
figuratively and literally, it is much more talky. Like it's much more about the the political machinations and stuff, right? Yeah, there are a lot of scenes that felt Game of Thronesy. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. The crazy thing reading about sort of the history of this movie is is Kubrick not kind of being a dick. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> not kind of disowning the movie. In retrospect, Kirk Douglas sort of being offended by like Kubrick wasn't all in on the let's get Dalton Tum- uh, Trumbo like his name out there like let's unblock list him. And apparently, um, Kubrick actually wanted to take the writing credit for himself, right? Kirk Douglas had to basically put his yeah. foot down and be like, "Hey, man, <laughs> exactly, what the fuck, don't be a dick." Yeah. So it's weird to know that Kubrick wasn't a fan of you know one of this top 100 film of all time this this huge epic that that people seem to love there were sort of uh, wars with the studio on a bunch of things you know during production pre-production post-production all, all, all that shit it doesn't really come out that way when you watch the movie you wouldn't know that there were sort of it's not like jumbled or, or, or uh, if, you know, it doesn't feel too long or too short. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's why it doesn't feel full Kubrickian. I mean, certainly that's why it doesn't feel full Kubrickian, right? Well, we're, we're bearing the lead, too, which is the fact that he wasn't the original director. Like, we've been talking about all this stuff, and we, we haven't even mentioned the fact that he wasn't the first. He, he didn't start production on this. It was a different director whose name escapes me, and I should have that written down, and I don't, so... Anthony Mann. Thank you, Anthony Mann. Um, Kirk Douglas decided, or Anthony Mann. I think Anthony Mann actually like took himself out of it, right? Didn't Anthony Mann a couple weeks into production or like a week into production say, "Hey, this just isn't for me." I just, I, I think, I don't think he was fired. I think he actually like resigned. Let me stop you. Douglas fired Mann at the end of the first week of shooting. Okay. Uh, he seems scared of the scope of the picture. Wrote That's Douglas what it in is. His autobiography. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, uh, which is ironic because he would go on to make films like El Cid. Uh, which were, you know, equally epic, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then Douglas hand handpicks Kubrick because they had just made Paths of Glory together. Tens of millions of dollars from Paths of Glory to something like Spartacus. And uh, it's clear that, that Kubrick was equal to the task, but there's also um, s- legendary stories about Kubrick, like, basically unofficially firing the cinematographer and basically just shooting the whole thing himself. So, I mean, there's all sorts of crazy intrigue going on in the set. But like you said, there isn't anything really like the the tone and the look of the film is consistent. Like there isn't anything really to suggest that you had multiple cinematographers and multiple directors working on this movie. It does feel pretty much like it's coming from one singular vision. Yeah, exactly. That being said, I don't know if you I don't know if you could put this next to Dr. Strangelove or Barry Lyndon even. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess there, there could be some battle scenes in Barry Lyndon where you might be able to look at this and look at some of the <laughs> battle scenes and say, all right, that's that's clearly coming from the same eye. Sure. It's certainly not, you know, Clockwork Orange or The Shining. Even I mean, this is this is an outlier for sure in Kubrick's oeuvre. David Lean turned down the initial offer to direct, which I feel like happened a lot in the movies of this era. Um, David Lean saying no. I mean, let, let's get a. Do you feel like this movie deserves its spot on the list? Um, no, no, it's, it's not, it's not one of my favorites. And, um, and it's pretty rare that a movie, I'm, I'm a company man when it comes to the AFI list. So it's pretty rare that I don't support their choices. This one to me feels like, I I feel like I could do without it. I mean, just the fact that I don't have the impulse to revisit it very often. The fact that Kubrick, like you said, has pretty much disowned it again, just doesn't feel like it's part of his part of the Kubrickian world. But then again, it's it's very it's extraordinarily watchable, and Kirk Douglas is really amazing in it. I mean, he's he's a real 
you know, four alarm movie star. And the battle sequences are extraordinary. I mean, there really is something to be said for having thousands of extras as opposed to plasticky CGI hordes, right? Or just like, you know, rolling, you know, fiery logs that roll over these poor stuntmen. I mean, there's something kind of visceral about it. There is just like visceral moments of like crazy violence that sort of like snap you into something. Says, okay, this is this is different than something like Ben-Hur. You know, like this is not your classical biblical sword and sandal epic. This is something different. This is something more dangerous. Yeah, I mean, this is supposed to be the top 100 movies of all time, right? Something being epic and watchable does not really uh, garner, shouldn't garner your entry in, into the list. Um, <laughs> I'm not quoting necessarily. Right? Yeah, they're not justifying necessarily. I guess I'm just trying to give it something, somewhat of the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I mean, it is crazy that it went from not on the list to being on the list. I, I suspect it's part of what we talked about, people saying, but but it's it's it broke the blacklist. I mean, it's a Kubrick movie. It's a Kubrick Dalton Trumbo joint. Uh, it has that famous scene that everyone knows. Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect it's it, it's that, not people actually rewatching the movie and and having a having a new life. It's not like this movie got lost in time at any point. So I I know very little about what happened besides what I have read and what I saw in the movie Trumbo. I mean, the idea is that Kirk Douglas was a big enough star that he basically just crossed the unofficial picket line, hired Trumbo himself, and then basically said, I'm putting I'm putting your name on this movie whether the WJ likes it or not. I mean, that's basically what yeah, happened, I mean, right? And then JFK famously crossed the picket line because he wanted to see the movie so badly, and that broke the blacklist. I think so. I mean, he he wrote the screenplay under a pseudonym. So while it was in production, it was it, it wasn't known to be a Dalton Trumbo screenplay. Uh, interestingly, the the guy who wrote the novel, Howard Fast, um, <laughs> Alexa has just decided to start. She's talking she's looking way. up Dalton Trumbo right now. <laughs> yeah, that's fucked up. Finding Dalton Trumbo's filmography. Shut up. <laughs> Um, Howard Fast, the guy who wrote the novel Spartacus, which the movie was based, who was originally hired to do the, the screenplay, um, was also blacklisted, and he, and he didn't name names, but he was in jail when he wrote wrote the novel. So it's, it's kind of interesting that you know, maybe that's the reason they wanted to get Dalton Trumbo involved somehow. But, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't clear that it was going to like release Dalton Trumbo's name while it was in production. I think that was an after-the-fact decision by Kirk Douglas. And the idea is, if you believe in all this, like, sort of subtext, is that the the idea is that the movie really is actually about the uh, the Huek trials, right? Like, the movie is about, you know, about the witch trials. And then when everybody stands up and says, I'm Spartacus, that's, that's the, you know, the Hollywood 10 or whatever, solidarity. Exactly. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And and so, so again, my suspicion is that is why this movie is on on the list because it's it's meaningful, significant, significant in in a in a, in a bigger way than the the film in a vacuum to Hollywood itself. So, in that regard, I mean, I get it, but I'd rather this be a merit based list than anything else. <laughs> yeah, that that seems like it'd be a better world to live in. Like, but all this stuff is is valid, right? I mean, I, I think it is. I think it is an important film historically for these reasons and it's an, an incredible example of using a, a genre film you know like a historical sword and sandal epic to kind of like speak to the contemporary world in which it was made which mm-hmm. i always i always i always appreciate that um the, our recent best picture winner was pointed at as 
as a film that was attempting to um, sort of hammer home a message like that. Yeah, and Spartacus doesn't, you know, Spartacus doesn't hammer home. It doesn't knock you over the head with it. It is fairly subtle in in its subtext, right? Uh, yeah, and and it works. So in that regard, it works on multiple levels effectively. Whether it deserves to be on the list or not, it, it, you know, it clearly is a movie that works. You know, it's clearly an effective film. It's an exciting film. It's a sweeping film. It's an impressive film. Um, and it's also just an incredible showpiece for, like you said, this very deep roster of incredible performances, which we should probably go through and, and, and point out, you know, like not just the ing- amazing Kirk Douglas, but like you said, Peter Ustinov, who won an Oscar for the film, a very deserved Oscar, I would say. Like, he's really a standout, right? He's very funny. He's extremely funny. He's very good. I mean, very everyone in this movie is extremely, extremely good. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it doesn't just rely on this sweeping epic stuff and uh, action all the time. Like, there's a ton of... <laughs> <laughs> like you said, very political, dialogue-heavy scenes uh, in this movie, and the only way you can get those to work is to hire you know the best actors around. So obviously, Lawrence Olivier is basically the de facto villain. He's incredible. Uh, Peter Ustinov is incredible. Herbert Lom is in this. Who I just I always every time I see Herbert Lom on screen, I always just expect him to just burst into laughter because I associate him so much with the uh, the uh, Inspector, you know, the Pink Panther films. He's all uh, tan, right? Because he's playing. I think he's playing a Persian or something. So yeah, this, yeah. this this time around, he, he's the one who's all problematic. Tan. Yeah, yeah. What was the what, who, who's the actor in Ben Hur who who actually won an Oscar for playing a Middle Easterner? Are you thinking of Al Guinness and Lawrence of Arabia? No, no, no. That's fair. He was nominated, but um, no. I'm trying to think. I'll, I'll I'll look it up real quick. There was a, there was another character character actor just like Herbert Lom, who basically what well, he was like a slave trader or something in Ben Hur. I can't help but draw connections between this film and uh, Gladiator, which you you also can do with Ben Hur. But I feel like Gladiator was really a situation where you had a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of like executives or whatever sitting around at a table going like, why can't we combine Ben Hur with Spartacus and make the ultimate sword and sandal epic, right? Because there's so yeah. many aspects of this narrative and Ben Hur's narrative, which obviously combined to make the uh, you know the Uber sword and sandal film in the guise of, of Gladiator, which I think is a very overrated film, and I think it's bonkers that it won Best Picture. But clearly, they <laughs> they they succeeded, right? They they took DNA from both of the biggest sword and sandal films of all time, and they created Gladiator out of it. Yeah, it's very very similar uh, journey for the protagonist in all those movies, of course. Also, not to draw too many conclu- you know, too many uh, similarities between the two films, but it's important to uh, realize that Spartacus is three hours and 17 minutes and Ben-Hur is three hours and 32 minutes. It's a, it's a little more epic. It's, you know, it's, it's a much tighter film, of course. <laughs> it's 15 minutes more epic. Everyone agrees. Everyone knows that. Uh, their budgets were almost exactly the same, but Ben-Hur uh, made about two and a half times more money than um, uh, Spartacus did. Yeah, it came out one year before, since we're interested in years right now. Yes, Ben Hur fifty nine and Spartacus sixty, and uh, according to legend, Spartacus is basically a direct result of Kirk Douglas not getting the role that went to Charlton Heston. Like it's it's Charlton, it's Kirk Douglas's reaction to Ben Hur. He's like, no, I want one of those for my very own, and he he got there to a certain extent, but his movie didn't make nearly as much as as Ben Hur did. Stanley Kubrick was thirty years old when he directed yeah, this movie. Yeah, I have that in my notes too. How bonkers is that? That makes you feel bad. This is well, wow. yeah. Well, don't get me started. But I mean, this is his <laughs> this is his fourth film, right? F- yeah. Fear and Desire, or there's a couple of unofficial ones, but I think it's like it's it's like what like Killers Kiss, The Killers, 
Paths of Glory, Spartacus. I think this is his official fourth film. Um, you know, people grew up a lot faster back then, Matt. You know, <laughs> sure lifespan. It, you know, nothing to feel bad about. We're basically twenty five years old in nineteen, you know, sixty time. <laughs> I heard a statistic the other day that um, the average lifespan of a human being living in twenty eighteen is uh, seventy one point four years. So, yeah. uh, in that regard, uh, get ready because we're we're getting pretty close to the halfway point here. You and I. They also say <laughs> that the first 150 year old has already been born. So you know what? That's going to change. We're, we're, we got a long time. They're going to they're going to cure some shit. Yeah, they're, and they're they're averaging a, a whole <laughs> lot of human beings that are dealing with a lot of situations that you and I don't have to. So yes, he was he was 30 years old when he made this movie, which is crazy. And he had, like I said, at least three films under his belt by this point. Was apparently not very well liked by the crew and uh, basically burned bridges with Kirk Douglas as a result of this experience. Yes, exactly. You know, I think he obviously uh, he obviously did okay. <laughs> yeah, he was fine. But it, but it does speak Kept a little bit. Kept making movies are pretty, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, still, he still made some okay films. But um, it does speak to his personality, right? That clearly that level of genius also made him pretty antisocial, it seems. Just think of how much chutzpah you have to have as a 30 year old to be directing this humongous epic with all these extras yeah uh the stakes are so i mean it's the equivalent of like a 110 million dollar budget uh in in today's dollars that he that he had to work with and, and coming on at the last second like that's a lot of pressure so yeah you know i i i understand if he if he got a little got a little prickly on set yeah, I, I don't want to compare him to Michael Bay, but I, I do think that there's a reason that, you know, Michael Bay has a reputation for being a prick. I'm not saying that that makes Michael Bay's movies good. I'm just saying, like, there's a certain personality <laughs> that's required, like you said, chutzpah or whatever, uh, in order to be able to command literal armies, right? Yeah, and to be a perfectionist about it the whole time. Yeah, and probably um, um, probably operating at least one of the cameras uh, while you're shooting yeah. big battle sequences, right? Matt, any any final thoughts about Spartacus? There, a lot of talk, there's been a lot of talk about the sort of like homoerotic overtones, undertones, whatever you want to call them. I mean, the the scene, the big scene between Laurence Olivier and Tony Curtis has been in every version for the last 25 years at least. So I'm assuming whatever versions you and I have watched over the years have been versions that have that very controversial scene where Tony Curtis is like bathing Lawrence Olivier, right? Like the what do they call it? The snail, yes. the snail yes. and oyster scene, or whatever. Yeah. How, <laughs> yeah. how did that? How did that grab you? Uh, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I knew that was in there. I knew it was coming, and it, it is. It is homoerotic, and I, I just wonder because I have no context for how audiences of that time, um, you know, internalized or un- understood that sort of stuff. Maybe not understood, but like I, I just want—I wonder what the reactions were for they were completely oblivious to it all. Well, yeah, I mean that scene what wouldn't have been in there when audiences saw it in 1960. So the question is, oh, that's are true. there yeah, are there still enough? Is there still enough suggestion? Because that scene is not—that's not subtext. That's text. I mean, that's pretty yes. clear. Like he's trying to seduce this person, right? I mean, it's clear yeah, what yeah. he's talking about. It's a brilliantly written scene by Dalton Trumbo. Very, very smart, but it's not subtextual. So <laughs> the the question is, without that scene, do you get the? I mean, I feel like if you take that scene out, it's it must be very jarring when he when Tony Curtis escapes, right? Like when he runs off. Yeah, that must be very jarring. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, yeah. because that is the scene that leads to him um, leaving. And did you notice that? Did are you aware of the fact that that's not actually Lawrence Olivier's voice in that scene? The um, the audio track was lost 
for that scene. So when they reincorporated it, they had to get another actor to impersonate Laurence Olivier. I did not notice that. That's a great fun fact. Would you like to guess who, who the actor was who impersonated Laurence Olivier in that scene? It's not a very, this is not a trick question. No, tell me. Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins. I wonder how that phone call went. Anthony, come here. We, we need a <laughs> scene for you. How much do you think he was paid for that? Oh, I'm sure an exorbitant amount, I hope. But I just I just love the fact that Anthony Hopkins is not just a great actor. He's also a great impressionist. Yeah, that's hilarious. Oh, I mean, Tony Curtis was still alive at the time, so Tony Curtis looped himself. But Anthony Hopkins performed Laurence Olivier's voice, which I think is, fun, is kind of fun. Tony Curtis versus Kirk Douglas at the end, Spartacus versus Antoninus. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. Really dark. Yeah. Really violent. Super dark. <laughs> I mean, yeah... That seems awesome. And I think this movie is notable for, for having a very sort of down ending for a movie of its time, right? Like that's the the non-happy. I mean, there's some bitter sweetness to it, but the movie sort of ends on a on a pretty pretty sour note, right? Yeah, it's a very it's extraordinarily dark ending, and I think it's very consistent with I mean, it's very Kubrickian, right? I mean yeah, yeah, he a, didn't have anything to do with the with the screenplay, but I just it feels very consistent with how how dark and pessimistic so many of his films tend to be. Yeah, I, I don't know. Woody Strode, there's a, another great uh, fight sequence with between Kirk Douglas and Woody Strode, who's amazing in the movie. He was Golden Globe nominated for this film. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm conflicted about this movie because again, there's so much of it that I like. And, so, and then, you know, we just sort of like touched on the centerpiece sequence, the I'm Spartacus sequence, which has to be counted whether you are a big fan of the film or not, has to be counted amongst the all-time great you know, cinematic moments, right? Yeah, it's one of the all-time greats. It's one of the, I mean... It's one of the most it's, quotable, it's the reason, at least. It's the reason this movie, it's on this. It's on the list, right? It's kept this movie sort of not relevant. It's kept this movie, in, you know, in people's minds for decades, and it's extremely famous, been parodied a million times. Uh, but, you know, for a good reason. It's an incredible scene. I mean, I've only seen it a couple times, but just, I mean, I've, I've revisited that scene. Each of the th- two and a half times. Yes, but I've revisited that scene many times on my own, independent of the film, and it still brings a tear to my eye every time, Every because it's just, it's it's perfect. It's just like, like from a screenwriting standpoint, from, from a dramatic standpoint, it's just like, oh yeah, you can't, you know, you can't ask for much more than that. I did learn that that scene is in the novel, so it's not a Trumbo original. That's, a, that's from the novel, which right. is cool. All right, Matt. Uh, this was eighty one. I'm looking forward to the to the next eighty. Yeah, this is uh, this is this is a turning point here, right? We're about to get to the apartment, which is number eighty, and we'll be one fifth of the way uh, through this journey. Yeah, that's incredible. All right, until next time. This has been We Like Movies AFI Top One Hundred Countdown. Uh, we are Spartacus. Yeah.